Blog Talk Radio. Talk the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope we can really get this show going this time. We've had technical problems on both ends, on my end with some internet problems today, and then uh, some problems hearing the call with our guest. So this is our second official try, but I feel like I'm on try four or five kind of to get the show <laughs> going today. So I hope that it and that we can um, we can again get it all to work to enjoy this great mom. Now today's show is going to be a continuation from show number 262. So my advice would be if you've not listened to that show, I think you should stop right now. Uh, however you access our show, whether it's through iTunes or uh, at my website at teachmetotalk.com or however you get the show, stop. And go back and listen to show 262 if you've not heard it. It's a fantastic mom. She's from Canada. And, again, she has uh, twin little girls who are, I believe, turning four, if my memory serves me correctly. And last time we talked a lot about mom's feelings as she was beginning to notice some differences in her girls and then she had to take them to one specialist and then another specialist and she walked us through that whole diagnostic process with thinking, oh, this this might be their hearing, it might be their middle ear infections and then someone mentioned autism to her and she felt like lots of moms do, really, really defensive and she said she felt like she was in denial for a long time and tried to think of every other possibility <laughs> beyond autism as an explanation for why her girls weren't meeting their communicative milestones and some of the social kinds of uh, things that she saw other one- and two-year-old little girls doing. So it was just a great show. And especially if you are a parent involved in that, those first weeks of getting a diagnosis, and it doesn't even have to be autism because I think that the feelings that parents experience when you realize that something might be right with the child, it really doesn't matter what uh, the diagnosis would be. It really is. So, again, you can go back and listen to that show, and I know that you're going to find some commonalities there, even if autism isn't exactly what you're dealing with. Okay, Laura, you're on now. Hi, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. That's much better. You were cutting out before, and sometimes when we have a guest and I can't hear it, the quality's not so great, I go back and listen to the show, and it's perfectly fine, but I couldn't even mm-hmm. really understand all that you were saying, and so that would make it really hard for me to <laughs> respond. No, that's fine. It could be a yeah. connection, too, so... Yeah, you sound great now, though. It sounds 100% better. Okay, so oh, awesome. let's kind okay. of yeah, let's kind of say what we said before when we were on and trying to get this to work. Last time okay. we got to talk about one of your little girls, um, mm-hmm. and then today we said, well, I, I said at the end of that show I want to have you back on so we can talk about the other one of your girls, but I think you said, if I heard you correctly, you would give us kind of an update with what's been going on since then, and then we'll move on to your newer question. Yeah, I think we left off at um, 
we didn't talk about uh, Twin B. So um, we, like I mentioned before in the last podcast, we've been working with a great OT who were, who was able to diagnose some sensory issues. So both girls are sensory seekers. Uh, however, they're very different. Um, twin A would be an indirect uh, sensory seeker, so she knows what she wants. She goes gets it herself. Where Twin Twin B um, doesn't her body doesn't tell her where to go and what to get what she needs, you know, like if she needs to touch sand or whatever. Um, so they're very different that way. So, you know, for her, you'll have to give her direct, you know, hugs and deep pressure massage and take her for a spin or a run or whatever. She won't do those things on her own. Um, okay, so explain so, to us how your OT taught you about direct and indirect because that's something that – that's a, a terminology that maybe even some speech pathologists aren't familiar with. So talk with us about how your OT explained that to you. Okay. So twin A, um, so she's very independent. She's nonverbal. Uh, but for some reason she knows what her needs are, sensory needs, and she goes get to herself because I'll find her in the, you know, sandbox, like playing and touching it and grabbing it and sometimes putting it in her mouth, which is not great, but I don't know if that's part of the sensory or her exploration. Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, or she'll go jump, yeah, she'll go jump on her trampoline or, you know, when she sleeps, she'll push herself against the wall to get deep pressure. Um, so that's indirect, um, and apparently she, because she doesn't, when she doesn't know a person, she won't come to request what she needs from that person, so that's where the indirect part comes in. Uh, it takes her a while for you, for her to trust you to do that. That's why she only comes to me if she needs, like, a deep pressure hug or people she knows, not just me, but I should say my husband, my mother. Uh, but, you know, wow. at school, maybe she'll go to a teacher that she really, really likes, but that's about it. Um so twin, so the OT explained that her system is basically telling her where to go to get what she needs sensory-wise. Uh-huh. I know uh-huh. she'll go to the trampoline to jump by herself, whereas twin B, it's you need to provide direct um, sensory input to her because she won't know where to go get it. So you sort of uh-huh. have to guide her based on, you know, you observe her body language and She's very, um, her, most of the sensory issues are oral-based. Um, uh-huh. She said that oral motor skills for her are at the level of a 13 to 15-month-old where she mouths everything. That's how she right. explores stuff. So right. that's what she meant by direct and indirect. I hope I made it clear, but that's what I understood from what she was saying. I just wanted to hear how your OT explained that to you. And I always love to hear how moms, Understand that therapists say, yeah, because it gives as a as a therapist, it it just always provides so much insight. With, oh, I could explain it that way, or that's how mom interpreted that, and I always think it's so helpful to clarify with a mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how how did how did she explain that to you, and how what does that mean to you, and how does that make sense to you? So yeah, thank you for explaining that in that way. That was great. no, that's good. Yeah, I didn't even think of that because you understand and you're like, oh yeah, maybe I should explain. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and here's the um, thing: we have listeners from all over the world, and listeners of you know some are moms, some are therapists, some have children that this show will be really, really applicable to. Some moms are just listening because mm-hmm. they've kind of gotten in a habit of listening to 
every show, and this is just kind of what they do, and they feel like they can kind of get little nuggets here and there, even if it's not directly related to their own child. And then as a therapist, I think therapists, again, because of the diversity of our caseloads, even if you think, oh, this show may not be relative to anyone that I'm seeing right now, you never know when two or three weeks from now or two or three months from now you're going to get a new child and a new family that this information could be so helpful for you for. So, again, I think it's, we have to kind of keep that in mind. And that's my job as the host of the show <laughs> to make sure yeah. that we are providing that background information and so that everybody feels like, gosh, I'm getting something that's useful to me. If not even right here immediately today, it will be in the future. I oh, for sure. Because I, I do the same. I listened actually to a few shows of yours last night and I got a little nuggets from there. I'm like, oh, yeah, they do do that. And you forget about it because there's so much going on. And you're like, oh, maybe I should bring that up because that's important that I never thought of it. And they're so yeah. different. Every child is so different. And, you know, you get people, I, oh, they're twins. I'm like, no, they're so different <laughs> in their needs and their, you know, personalities. It's just funny. But it's just they're yeah. complete. Yet they have the same issues, but they're so different on how, you know, they need stuff or, you know, their sensory needs have to be met and their speech. It's just, wow. Blows my yeah. mind. And I think it's interesting, like you talked about last time, they do both have the same diagnosis, but their, you know, autism is a spectrum disorder and so is apraxia, meaning that there are varying degrees. And even, you know, if you line up 10 kids with autism, you're going to have 10 different presentations of that. Not every kid is going right. to be exactly. And that's why these cookie cutter approaches don't work which is what makes my job so interesting because I'm always, you know, you have to really learn how to work with children and families individually, you know, regardless of what the diagnosis is because not everything is going to work for every single kid. And, again, that makes that's the really cool part to me because I like digging in and figuring out what's going to work. But a lot of times parents don't understand that because they think, well, this is my child's diagnosis and the therapist should know this is how you yeah. treat it, you know, the 10 steps, but it doesn't work that way because, like you yeah. said, every child is very individualistic. So, mm -hmm. okay. So, okay, okay so cause you, now that you mentioned apraxia, so when I, we last spoke, um, the OT had an inkling that, you know, due to her, um, the nonverbal one where she doesn't dissociate her mouth from her jaw and the tongue, she suspected a form of apraxia, and she suspected a form of apraxia for twin B, who has words but only says certain vowels and syllables and stuff like that. She doesn't fully say the word. The only concrete word she'll say is cookie. But the rest yeah. of the word she'll, I'll, I'll label stuff, but she'll be, if I say baby, she'll say day. And then it takes her yeah. a while to say B. But it's to get just stuff available. like that she thought, yeah, it's like a milder form, but not like the nonverbal one who's obviously more severe, I would say. I don't like yeah. using that word, but um, um, significant. I know as a parent, it's like... I think, yeah, I think significant still gives Significant, it, well, very me, good. Yeah. Yeah, for me, yeah. it still gives it the order of importance, but it doesn't sound doomsday. And you don't ever want to feel yeah. that way, yeah, about your own child. Or I don't like feeling that way about the kids on my caseload either because I feel like every kid's going to get better no matter where we start. 
So, yeah. So I wanted to touch a little bit of base on what on uh, a little bit on what the because we found a new SLP. Somebody referred it to us, and the OT actually referred it to us. And apparently, she has uh, twenty years of experience working with kids with autism and apraxia. And so we brought her in for an assessment. She was only able to see tween A, the nonverbal. Uh, so she's coming mm-hmm. back to see tween B. So I mentioned what the OT said, and basically she said a praxis is very hard to diagnose in one session. So I just wanted to run that yeah. by you. Is that something yeah. that it takes you a while to observe a child to do that? There's no yeah. specific you would do? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And here's the deal. Really, we should wait and see. Well, here's the here's. let me just say this. Most of the time, even when we suspect apraxia with a child, we still want them to be talking well enough so that we have determined what their errors are. Because mm-hmm. if a kid is talking, it really, you know, we can say, well, we suspect it's apraxia or whatever. But really, until we hear them and hear, uh, and analyze their patterns, we're not able to make that definitive diagnosis. And I totally agree with reserving some judgment and doing that over several sessions for weeks, months. That's really, really common. Now, your girls are turning four, right, Laura? Yeah, this Saturday, yep. Oh, happy birthday, girl. Yeah. Yeah. And let me just say, when children are under three, and I know you guys are in Canada, but I'm sure it's pretty similar, our uh, National Association, ASHA, the American Speech and Hearing Association, really discourages officially diagnosing children under three with, with apraxia because so many times so many different diagnoses look the same. And so yes. you don't want to misdiagnose or give a give a diagnosis that if you had waited to kind of get some words going and and really again have some time to analyze those patterns you're going to just make a more solid diagnosis so that's why that caution is there and so i i love that you said that she said that um, because that tells me she's really smart and knows what she's doing yeah you good information yeah yeah, and I was kind of expecting, because I heard so many good things about it, I was kind of expecting her to come in and be like, okay, so let's do this, let's do that. Yes, I can see it. But then she's like, no, and she mentioned the word severe, and she actually told me that it's hard to fix because her case is severe. So I was just like, again, floored. I'm like, no, don't say that. So but that kind of discouraged me. But that far She's saying that because she's almost four and not talking. So no matter Mm -hmm. what diagnosis, any professional would feel like the ethical thing to do for you would be to to use that more um, solid terminology just so you get an idea of the enormity of what's going on. And again... I don't think she means it to, of course, I don't know her. I don't really know you either, you know, beyond these couple of phone calls and all these emails that we've had. But my guess would be she's just saying that because she's turning four and 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 isn't isn't verbally communicating. So that's where the severe comes from. And that is really hard to hear as a mom. I know that breaks your heart that. But I don't think she's saying 
that there's no hope. She's just, I think she's probably saying, hey, this is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's funny because I get discouraged easily and I just get, you know, from everything we've been through with the other one, it's just, my husband was so great, I told him, and he goes, but that's not, but she didn't say it's impossible, did she? I'm like, no, she didn't. So he's like, see? But he's just, yeah. you know, it's great to have that person to sort of give you hope and sort of look the yeah. other side, but it's just, you know, when you as a mom, I think that you tend to just like, oh, no, what now, you know? But um, yeah, I know. anyway, I know, and it is really hard to lose hope. But let me just tell you, if if there, <laughs> the whole profession of speech pathology and every every field of therapy is based on there's hope, there's things yeah. we can do. Otherwise, why would we even do all this? Why would this be our job? I know. Why would you know? So there's always always hope, even if you're starting from that kind of severe place or significant place, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call that. So I, I'm glad you shared that with us because that's a lot. A lot of times as therapists, we don't always think about that, how hard it is to hear. And, and sometimes, you know, a therapist might think, well, she knows that it's severe because her child is four and not really talking yet. But again, as a mom, oh, yeah. you, know, you know that with your head. But when you start thinking about it mm-hmm. from an emotional perspective, it breaks your heart. So mm-hmm. it's just... It, yeah. Um. Thank you for being yeah. so honest and open. You're just like the yeah, best no. mom. <laughs> if it helps anybody else, oh God, I'd be so happy because I go through stuff and I'm like, oh no, is this how I feel? Is this how everybody feels, or is it just me? Um. But I wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So you've worked with kids in the past where you took them from like, you know, when they had severe practice or nonverbal until they were, oh, I, guess, I guess you don't do kids over three, but where you got them talking. So there, I know there is hope. It's just I'm trying to see if, you know, what the statistics are, I guess. Yeah. And without, let me just say, because it's, well, first of all, let me just say, I haven't met your little girl. So it's so hard to yeah even take global statistics and apply them to your child because we all know that one child can totally blow statistics out of the water. But let me just Mm -hmm. kind of talk about this in general. We know that about a third to about a half or about half of all children with autism never become functional communicators. So that's just the autism Mm -hmm. part. And sometimes the parent will hear that say, gosh, one-third to a half, oh, my gosh, Laura. And I say, let's just turn it around. That means two-thirds of kids with autism to about half, depending on what study you look at, do become functional communicators. And by functional communicators, we mean that they are able to express their wants and needs, they're able to participate in conversation with you, you're able to have that kind of back-and-forth talking that we all want Mm -hmm. for our kids. Doesn't mean that they, you know, completely conquer all of their communication challenges, whatever. It just means they're functional, meaning they can tell you what they want, tell you what they need, they talk to express themselves. So that means about a third of kids with autism don't get to that point. Meaning that yeah. they they have struggle. They may they may mm-hmm. be nonverbal for a long time possibly forever. And so that's why we have augmentative alternative communication systems 
And that's another thing that speech pathologists should be exploring with any child who is is frustrated or who who has the ability to be able to want to communicate. And if, if talking is not going to be a short-term fix or a short-term possibility, that's when we really know that we do need to explore stems beyond talking to help them communicate. Um, again, yes. just to alleviate a lot of that frustration and a lot of that pressure. And I really have seen kids who get a device at two or three or four, and it takes so much of the pressure off that they do make some progress with talking when we didn't, we hoped before that they would, but we didn't know that that would happen. So in a lot of uh, cases, getting that alternative system going is, is again, kind of what, what helps talking move on. Yes. And I do think it's in a large part because that, that immediate pressure is off. Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to touch with, with talk to you about this before we move on to poor Twin B, who never talks, who never gets talked about. <laughs> um, well, she, well, basically, she gave me a little hope where she said, I can see signs of things going in the right direction because Twin A, what she does is she, you can tell she wants to communicate and she, she does truly talk with her eyes or she'll take you by the hand or she takes you whatever, but she will make sounds like, uh, 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 like she wants to talk. She doesn't know how to form the sounds. So you can right. tell she's willing to communicate. Um, so so I guess that's a good sign. Yeah, she's not communicative intent. It's called communicative yes. intent, meaning that she, you know, you, and your therapist pointed this out. She can see that she's trying. She can see that she wants to tell you something, that she mm-hmm. uh, understands that on some, even if she's not understood right now, she understands, even if she can't make herself understood, she knows. I wanted Yeah, to get see you to with her that. I feel like she understands everything she's told. It's just she can't her receptive language obviously is not is like zero. Not, not sorry, expressive language. So her receptive yeah. language is great I mean, like, because she understands. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I feel but, like those are good signs. Do you feel the same way? Like is there a good signs that you can tell that a person's a kid's moving towards, you know, communicating yeah. or becoming verbal or Yes, and your therapist will be able to help you walk through that and point out. And again, I think it's there's so much to be said for children who have some great foundations with receptive language. You would be working a lot harder if she didn't understand what you were saying. And right. again, her her um, initiation and her trying, her giving you those mm-hmm. signals, if you can't talk, letting you know. I mean, that's communicative, and that's what we always want to see. If we, if she didn't yeah. have any of that, that's what she would be working on, and that would be a much um, less positive uh, predictor if she didn't have that either. Yeah. So I do there's some hope there, and just I'm so glad that you have someone who specializes in treating kids yes. with autism and dyspraxia. And so it sounds like you've got a really, really good fit and that she Yeah, has, I think um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I think and that's she good. actually suggested because I said this kid needs something to communicate. The last SLP tried you teaching her text, but this is the kid who, you know, always never sits down, moves around, like she won't attend to an activity for more than a minute. 
So how do you yeah. make her sit down and teach pet? You can't. So it's got to be incorporated in play or, you know, stuff like that. So she suggested using a an actual picture of, let's just say, a packet of chips that she likes and placing it on the wall. As soon as she touches that, give her the chips. Um, you know, just so she catches on on, oh, if I touch this, I get what I want. Because she basically said we don't let her request. Um she just basically goes and gets it herself. Or if she yeah. can't reach you, she comes gets me. So there's no opportunity for her to communicate what she wants because we're always like, oh, you want this? Okay, here it is. So we, <laughs> you don't realize that as a mom till somebody points it out. Uh, right. So it's like, okay, then. Uh, but this is the kid who doesn't get what she wants. You get the tantrums. So, again, yeah. it's, oh, geez. It's yeah. a fine line. Because you don't want to yeah. see some therapists may say to you, okay, well then put everything up that she wants and she's just going to yeah. have to learn. How. Don't do that because that no. is going to make no. most of your lives living hell. And I've heard that recommended before and I kind of yep. cringe when that happens. To me, that's like throwing a kid, you know, in the deep end of the pool and say, who can't swim and saying, good luck, you're going to have to learn. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's me. It's mean. Yeah, and, yeah. So and you put them in I a dangerous situation where, you know, right now she figured it out. Oh, it's at the top shelf. Um, let me get the dining room table put, ch- chair pushed to the wall, climb on it, and climb on the shelf. Many times I find her on top of my kitchen counters. I'm like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Yeah. So, you know. So your yeah, situation okay. You can work on those things where, and again, you might always want to use it from a motivating, I know you can do this, let me teach you how perspective rather than we're going to withhold this from you until you do what we want. Do you see how that's kind of a different perspective? And so I think I think to you, the only thing that makes PECs work for kids is that we pick the right motivators. The only oh, yeah. thing that makes text work for kids. And so I think her suggestion with let's use a real-life picture, not a black and white or whatever you were using before. Take those a picture stick figures, the they do not object. get, yeah, they don't get those. I you know, the little standard. Well, yeah, they don't, yeah. like, I, they use them yeah. everywhere. It's daycare, at school. I'm like, you don't get it. I mean, yeah. at least I know my kids don't because they look at it and they're like, okay, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Yeah, and I always start t- with real uh, real pictures of real things from their environment or I have pictures of my toys that if we're going to play with my toys, yes. you know, I have those pictures kind of standard. But any kind of little, any kind of snack or anything that she wants with any regularity, that's what you should be taking your picture from. And just, it's so easy now because, you know, we have the, everybody, almost everybody has a fancy phone. Oh, yeah. Where you can take a picture and then go, you know, print it at Walgreens or I don't know if you have that yeah. in Canada, but Walmart. No, we don't. We have Walmart. Yeah, yeah. But you go print it at Walmart and it's cheap and it's easy. I mean, other than you oh, know, yeah. your phone getting it plugged in and stuff. But I would really use real pictures with that. Now, I'm not big on putting them on the wall or whatever, but just let your therapist help you work through that. I like it where um, with Picture Exchange Communication System, I love how that whole program is set up because it really is set up with two adults, one child, 
and I usually let the mom be the person who's giving the child what they want. So you would hold the mm-hmm. chips right there and have mm-hmm. the, the help her. I think we're ta- still talking about twin A here. Help mm-hmm. her pick up the picture and physically put it in your hand. Now, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. your therapist may think that that's not going to work as well for her because you've tried that. She may be thinking, let's do something different with more movement involved. But you'll just, mm-hmm. like putting it on the wall or whatever, but you're just going to have to work that out with her. But that idea sounds solid as far as yeah. you need to use real pictures and stuff that she really, really loves. Yeah, because she might just pull it off the wall because I've done this trip before with Velcro and she's like, oh, I can take these off and play with them. Like, she had no idea what those were. I'm like, that's not what the purpose of this is. But, hey, you want to play with them? Go ahead. See, I don't let kids play with pet pictures either because I want them to know that it's something that they use to communicate. And so yeah. I really, when I use pets, I really sit down with you know, mom has what the kid wants. I'm behind the kid helping the kid. We have the picture there. Mom holds out her hand. You know, when the kid reaches for the chips, mom holds out her hand. The kid, I help the kid put the picture in mom's hand. Then the kid gets the chips. And I like for it to be very yeah. structured like that at the beginning. And that's how that's how the research from PECS is set up. And that's how they've determined through using it. Lots and lots of years with thousands of kids, that's the best way to teach it. So if you can yeah. make it a little more structured in the beginning, I think it goes a long yeah. way with um, Yeah, we'll definitely it try. It's just the, yeah, the challenge with her is atten- getting her to sit down and do that. Because if she doesn't want to do an activity, you're making her do something, or she'll throw a tantrum, she'll walk away. But she'll come back if it's not me. If it's a therapist, she'll come back. She'll be like, maybe I should try this. I kind of like this toy. But wow. then, you know, she, she always has to be in control. So that's that's why I thought incorporating it. somehow. Yeah. And maybe and maybe that's what your therapist is thinking. And, again, because I haven't met your sweet girls, it's hard for me to be able to say, I'm just kind of telling yeah. you what my starting point would be and why. But always go with what modification that therapist is seeing with you in your house and if it doesn't work then you know that you need to pull it back and make it a little more structured and so you know don't please don't feel like everything I'm saying that you know you're going to go back to her and say I think we should do this blah blah don't do that Mm -hmm. yeah follow through and see what's going to work for your child and then you know that if um that if Placing the pictures up doesn't seem to work. You could always back it down to where you're in that more structured teaching environment, which is, again, my preference for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She also suggested, like, a ring on your belt with pictures so you have them available at all, at all times, but that just means me walking around with a ring full of pictures everywhere. But, but I mean, hey, it's got to be done. If it, listen, if it does become successful with her, I promise you won't oh, hey, wearing this. Oh, hey, I have no you problem. Will. Yes. <laughs> you walk oh, and I've geez. seen a lot of teachers who end up doing that because it's too hard to try to go find the darn pictures when you need them. Mm-hmm. And if you always have them available, it's much more likely that a child will learn to use them. Then and yeah. if you can incorporate them all day rather than we're just going to sit down and do this for 5 minutes and then it's over, that doesn't mm-hmm. ever become a real life functional system. So she sounds yeah. like she has good ideas. Those all sound great, oh, good. and I would I yeah. would follow her. I would follow that path and and just oh, see good. what's okay. going to happen with that. 
Yeah, that's good. Okay. Okay, so I guess we could talk about Twin B now. I don't know how much time we have left, but um, <laughs> um, we would get caught up because there's so much going on. You always want to just keep going. <laughs> um, well, what did, what should I talk about with Twin B? I guess I mentioned um, that she has a few words, and I started her talking using your, you know, singy song technique in that uh-huh. work. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're both very visual, so I guess if I show her something, it's gotta. I have to show her something. I guess many kids do that. You can just say, "Where's the dog?" or say, "Dog." You can't do that because they don't know. So you know, either flashcards. Yeah. 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 Either flashcards. I found Baby Einstein video to be helpful. Um, what else did I try with her? Um, flashcards. A picture. She loves books with animals, and you point at the animals. So I, I label everything. So she repeats it, but sometimes she doesn't get, like, it doesn't even sound close to what it is. Or she'll say yeah. the first syllable only. So yeah. I, I don't know if that's a sign of some kind of apraxia or it's just her trying to say it, but she doesn't fully get it. Well, let me just say, um, kids with apraxia have difficulty sequencing sounds. So that's something that we see frequently in kids with apraxia is that they omit or drop or delete, leave off, whatever you want to call it. They can't do the whole mm-hmm. word. They simplify the mm-hmm. word because they just get all the sounds in the right places. But let me just say, kids with phonological disorders do that too. And even oh. to some degree... It's typical for younger babies to do that as well. Yeah. So it's a nat- it's kind of a natural part of speech language development. Um, okay. But you want to really, and I'm just saying that not necessarily for you because your girls are turning four, but at the same time we don't need to make, um, I just want to kind of throw it out there. It could be, I haven't seen your little girl, so it could be that it's a praxia, but it could be it's just, kind of a phonological progression that she's just not caught up to because developmentally yeah. she's you know, her her developmental age is is different than her chronological age. You know, she how many words does yeah. she have, Laura? How many she words has, does she have? Oh, she has over twenty I would say. Um yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not a lot, but I mean, she will like everything I yeah. say. She'll re- like if I label so something, she'll say it in her own way. But good, um, but and she's trying. She's trying to talk, and she's a good. Oh yeah, and and she's um, again a pretty good imitator. She understands. Mommy says it. I say it. Mommy says it. I say it. That. Yeah, that's a big, big but she won't imitate actions, so that's the thing. Like, I can't say go clap, but then I was told that's because she has low muscle tone, so clapping may be hard for her to do. So words, no yeah. problem. See, they're the opposite, where twin A will, will yeah. imitate some actions when this one and one say words. This one will imitate words, but no action. So, um, but it's it takes her a while to say, like, yeah, isn't that weird? It's just, oh, it's just funny. Um, I just and it, listen. Let me just let me tell you. I have another mom that who's from. I'm not going to say what country she's from, but she's not from the U.S. or Canada. I'm skyping with her, as a, um, consulting with her, and she has a set of twins. And um, one has excellent motor skills, but really struggling with communication. And then the other one is opposite. The little girl who's talking <laughs> a lot, 
really struggles with her motor skills. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. again, you don't think about that with twins, but it happens, you know, it does happen. So completely opposite kinds of issues, yeah. And it does make it hard for you to determine what strategy is going to work for what what girl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for communication, I use the same strategy. They both like the singing song voice, you know, the, the high energy, not, you know, stuff like that. So that works with both. But, uh, yeah, so she'll say, like, for example, she started saying she makes a lot of k sounds, um, uh-huh. the the B sound, and it's funny, the sh sound, which I guess it's a more advanced sound, but she it can is, say yeah. that perfectly. Um, yeah. But for when we taught her to say cookie, most of the time she'll say koo, and then yeah. wait for a while and she'll say ki. But it took her yeah. a while to say the last syllable. Now she says cookie, but... Because everything's the first syllable. Yeah. Yeah, and and that really could be a practice, but it sounds like your new speech pathologist will be able to tease that out as well. And she hasn't gotten to see her yet. She just saw... Not yet, no. Yeah, I just don't know how to take her from just saying, you know, those those first two syllables to full words and perhaps maybe sentence, because she understands when we're in the car, she'll say, go, like she wants the car to go and we're stopped. So she knows uh-huh. what means go, like, you know, the purpose of the word. She doesn't just imitate right. what I say. She knows what it means. She's but it's just, yes, but, but well, I don't know how to go. get her to move from. She's going to need, she's going to need more words, Laura, because kids yeah. usually, no matter what's going on with them, no matter what the diagnosis is, they really do need a big enough, vocabulary before they start to combine words into phrases. Now, some therapists, Uh, especially if there's just an apraxia, like no autism, just apraxia, sometimes therapists will work on getting a core set of phrases. But when you have anything else going on um, beyond apraxia, you really Mm -hmm. need to work on just building that single word vocabulary first so that Mm -hmm. that becomes really meaningful and so that she has, again, a big enough base, a big enough kind of word bank to be able to pull from before she combines words into phrases. So usually that's at about 50. Usually kids need about 50 words before they start phrases. Mm -hmm. Now, some sources will say 35 to 50, but my experience, especially with kids on the spectrum, has been that they need a pretty big vocabulary of single words Mm -hmm. that they use all the time before phrases become realistic. Yeah. So so just building that single word vocabulary. And she also needs to have a variety of words. So like in her 20 words right now, are most of those uh, names for things or nouns? Yes. Well, she'll say go or that was the only verb really, but most of them are, yeah, whatever I labeled their nouns, yeah. Yeah, so see, I think what you're gonna, what you would need to spend your time doing instead of, instead of get working a lot on phrases yet, which may not be realistic, just keep teaching her single words, so that you yeah. can think about your job is I'm just gonna build her vocabulary up enough so that when she gets enough words and enough variety of words, then she'll, it'll kind of kick in and she'll start to combine yeah. a lot of those your own now that's mm-hmm. that's the theory but here's what else might be going on if she does have apraxia 
you know, she already has difficulty getting that second syllable in a word. It took her a long time, he said, to learn how to do cookie rather than just cook. So she's going to have yeah. a hard time sequencing words to make phrases and sentences. You know, so she's got kind yeah. of another little issue on top of that. Yeah. We're, we're Again, just weren't sure if it's her motor skills because she's at that, you know, like 13 to 15 months old level where, you know, she mouths yeah. everything. So we're thinking maybe that's why she's not seeing the second syllable. We don't know, like you said, till you know, she gets assessed or, yeah. yeah. Okay. And let me just say, let's back up and talk about this for a second now. Um, you mentioned low muscle tone. If she has yes. a lot of muscle tone, apraxia is not probably going to be the best diagnosis for her. That then her the speech diagnosis for kids with significant muscle tone issues is really dysarthria. And that means there's the muscle component involved, meaning that I know that whole word, I just can't get my muscles to fire fast enough to get those ah. get all of those sounds sequenced. So hers and what is that called, you said? Dysarthria. It's spelled D-Y-S. Dysarthria, okay. Yeah. Is that a disorder that's common with, like, Down syndrome? Yes. Dysarthria. Okay, yeah, because it's funny. I just read the article last night on your website that I think you wrote with speech disorders. Okay. But it just means that the muscle tone issues are the real reason that a okay. child isn't able to. And you, and let me just say this. And again, I have a senior girl, so it's hard for me to. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, it's impossible. We're just kind of talking about this, and then you're going to be able to decide what fits and what doesn't. But kids with dysarthria again have uh, real difficulty um, with the, usually with their. Um, Okay, let me back up for a second. Kids <laughs> like with Down syndrome have muscle tone issues throughout their body. They have mm-hmm. low muscle tone all over. Okay. Yeah, now, that's certainly. Kids, okay, okay. So, see, dysarthria is probably a better diagnosis or a better label, terminology, whatever word you pick that fits for you. <laughs> That that's probably yeah. if a kid has all over muscle tone issues, that would be a better that diagnosis would fit better than apraxia would because apraxia is supposed to really be reserved for kids who don't have neuromuscular involvement, meaning their muscle tone mm-hmm. is fine. It's just that they can't um, program or plan. Uh, to yeah. talk from this little brain. It's like we were talking about last time, that little short circuit. But kids yeah. with, with observable muscle tone issues, apraxia usually isn't the best way to explain their uh, speech delay or speech disorder. Does that make mm-hmm. sense to you? That makes complete sense because this is, just for any moms out there, because somebody mentioned low muscle tone to me and I was like, what is that? And when the doctor gave us the diagnosis, when they examined her, these are the kids are sort of like limp. Like she'll come and give me yeah. a hug and she'll just drape over me and just like bleh. But, I mean, she. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that they can't run or jump or anything. They're just, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's there are, her. Well, there's a big continuum of muscle tone, too. I mean, uh, if we think about even even, you know, all of us, 
even adults like Olympic athletes and and professional athletes usually have higher muscle tone than me, Miss uh, Dump 49-year-old. You know what I mean? I mean, all of us have kind of a range of muscle tone, and I would be on the lower end of that. You know, I slump when I sit on the floor, and, you know, I'm not running marathons, and, you know, my muscle definition isn't like what uh, those Mm -hmm. women's soccer players right now playing in the World Cup, totally not like that. Muscle tone tone is a term that's applicable to everybody, not just a kid. um, And this is also the kid who sits in the W position. That's a trait of low muscle tone, too. So, yeah. Okay, well, that's good to know because... The OT said that she doesn't really think it's a praxis. It could be a mild form, but because she's saying yeah. stuff, it doesn't, yeah. Okay, I'll look into that, but that's, well, that's awesome that you told clarify. me that. Thank you. Well, and let me just kind of clarify. You can have a praxia and talk. I mean, there are adults with a praxia who talk. So the whole she's mm-hmm. talking, she's not talking, um, mm-hmm. That that's a factor for apraxia but not really just so you understand that difference i mean you can yes. there are adult speakers who you have jobs and who you mm-hmm. know are completely functional communicators who may be apraxic so please don't think that oh she she doesn't have apraxia because she's talking a little bit that's not really mm-hmm. probably that that's probably not true so yeah from a diagnostic okay. perspective because you can yeah. have kids who are real verbal who have a practice, but then when we analyze their speech patterns, they have they make vowel errors. They have difficulty combining sounds, you know. And again, they're talking, but because of the types of errors that they make, that's how we know that a practice is the correct diagnosis. But just sort this out with your speech pathologist and say, hey, do you what do you think her best diagnosis would be is this because mm-hmm. is she not talking because of the autism is she not talking because of the speech component you know could it be dysarthria and she'll be able to kind of tell you that and walk you through all of that based on what she sees in your little girl and then how yeah. she's able to kind of analyze and that'll make yeah. more sense okay yeah, I will do that with her. And um the manual that I got that you sent me the uh building imitations a verbal imitation uh-huh. in toddlers is great. So I started working oh, okay. with uh, the nonverbal one, but slowly, slowly. Uh, so I can still use that for the other twin who has words, right? Yes, absolutely. Because okay. you're going to be working with her at the single word level. So you're going to flip on yeah. flip the back of the book. <laughs> yeah, or I yeah. Or she's way up at that level seven uh, mm-hmm. where she is doing single words. The thing with her that I would work on, Laura, if I were you and if I were her therapist, based on what you're telling me now, you know, and again, without her, I would just work a lot on new vocabulary and on adding Mm -hmm. new words. And you said she has about 20 words. I would want her to have about 50 words, you know, so we would just work on adding words, adding words, adding words. That would be my biggest Mm -hmm. goal for her. Yeah. I mean, she'll come and request stuff from you. She'll tell you the word, but we say she speaks like uh, this totally different language sometimes because it's like, what is that? I know what it means, but I mean, a person hearing it, like for juice, she'll say, sure. I'm like, how do you get that from juice? 
Like it's just odd. <laughs> like instead of phone, she'll say phone with the P. Uh, it's like yeah. I know what it means, but it's just funny. But it's entertaining because I never got to go through that baby stage where she would say words in a funny way. So now she says it, so it's kind of cute. But <laughs> you just have well, to know what she means. Does she say the same? Does she say the same thing for the same word all the time? I mean, is it pretty consistent? Is phone always phone? Yes. Is juice always? Yeah. And see, that's more, yeah. That's probably more characteristic of dysarthria than apraxia. Cause kids with yeah, apraxia, she'll say the same thing, yeah. Yeah, kids with apraxia are inconsistent unless it's a really kind of over-rehearsed, meaning a word they say all the time. But kids with dysarthria mm-hmm. tend to have the same issues or the same errors in their words, meaning they say it the same way every time. It's wrong every time, but they say it the same way so that you know what they mean over time. And a lot of times kids with apraxia might take a word like phone, and sometimes they say phone, sometimes they say phone, sometimes they say phone. They would, you know, whatever, they may mix up all kinds of sounds. But kids with dysarthria are more consistent. But, again, dysarthria Uh is so that on muscle tone. The the, the yeah. biggest factor for kids to get a dysarthria diagnosis is there are muscle tone issues and that's why their speech isn't understood. And so you'll just mm-hmm. have to talk and then see and again because your girls um have autism that's another that's another factor. Issue on top of so, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So you'll just have to really sort it out. But I'm so glad that you found someone who your OT likes and has a good reputation, and your initial meeting with her went well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that sounds good to me. Yeah, that's really good. I'm happy because, I mean, she was very honest. And, you know, the other SLP we worked with before, you know, she's sort of not false hope, but she's never really diagnosed anything. She's never looked for things. So I mean, like, oh, don't worry, she'll talk. Like, okay, when, how? You're not telling me. Yeah. So because I got burned to that one, I was so like <laughs> picky with this one. I asked her twenty thousand questions, which you should rightfully do so, but I'm glad that she, you know, was tr- truthful yeah. and you know, brutally honest well, kind of thing. Yeah. And here's the thing too. And I know this is probably going to be harder for some moms to think about in here, but it's a lot earlier in the process, lots of times therapists, especially therapists who specialize in birth to three, again, we are keeping that glass half full, being super positive, trying to take that worry away a little bit so that it mm-hmm. doesn't become, so mom doesn't feel like this is insurmountable, this will never happen, I don't have any hope like you were talking about earlier, but then as children get a little bit older, um, mm-hmm. we have a better idea of how things might unfold with how much progress yeah. they've made or if progress has been tough. You know, it would be yeah. easier for a therapist to feel like she could be a little more, like you said, brutally honest. Um, mm-hmm. And it just be the difference in temperament. It, it, and it could be skill level. It could be that your therapist yeah. now is really put it in her abilities, and she's just going to tell you what she thinks, and she's just going to tell you. And it could be that the other yeah. therapist, too, isn't quite as confident and isn't quite as able to tell you what she really thinks um, because she's just yeah. not yet. So, or it yeah. may just not be her personality. She just may be, 
she's just like, yeah, she doesn't specialize in autism and I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad. So I'm going to come back and assess Twin B and see how we go from here. But it's just I'm trying to figure out a way to give Twin A an outlet for communicating. So that was my main uh, main goal, I guess, main question for today, which you answered. So that's good. Um, and then yeah, and with Twin B, just can... expand. Exactly. And you never want to give up hope for either one of those girls because we all oh, no. have heard about kids who are 8 and 10 and 12 who start to talk after mm-hmm. all those years. Something mm-hmm. clicks. Something happens. Something falls into place. So even though you're working on this other stuff, even though you're doing pecs and whatever else you're working on, nobody would ever say to you, give up on speech. No speech oh, no would ever say that. They're just going to want to help mm-hmm. you help build some bridges so that you can yeah. help her communicate even if her little body isn't ready to talk yet. Yeah. So, But I, I don't know if I mentioned this in my last podcast, just on a lighter note. On Mother's Day, she actually put her lips together and she said, mum, 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 over and over again. So it was so nice. I was like, is that the TV? What's happening? Who said that? Is that the dog? <laughs> That was a gift. so weird. It was like I cried. I was like, this is the best uh-huh. gift ever. But uh-huh. clearly she didn't know what that meant. She was just like, mama, mama, over and over again. Yeah. And then she came to give yeah. me a hug. And I'm like, what's happening? What just happened now? Can yeah. we do this every day? But Yeah. Um, Have you heard it since then? Have you? Has she said it since she, then? Yeah, she, she will do it once in a while. But I find that she sort of does it when... I don't know if she wants something or something, or she'll do like the um, like this, like when she's thirsty or something. So at least she's starting to. But I don't know if she associates that with. Well, with listen, you requesting. Have to help her, you have to help her associate that, and sometimes we yeah. have to take what she can do and then make it meaningful. So when she's yes. doing her, I had a lot of kids do that for yeah. when they're hungry. And when you see her doing that, you say, "Oh, you want something to eat? Let's get a snack." And then, or right. oh, you're thirsty, let's get a drink. And so you're really yes. attached, meaning, and helping her do that. And so when she says, "Ma, ma, 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 ma," even if you think that she's mm-hmm. not saying it, call you purposefully, teach it that way. Say, oh, "Yes, mama, I'm here. I'm here. It's mama, yeah. mama, mama, mama." Yeah, and that, yeah, that, you know, sometimes you have to. Teach it that way. You take what she can do, and you you assign the meaning, and then through yes. repetition and time, then she understands. She'll start to understand it. Yes, that's what I've been doing. But I mean, she doesn't say it a lot, but that's okay. I'll get I'll get what you know she gives me. <laughs> exactly, and see what see you know when she is saying it, Laura. That's your best time to really get it again. So. Even yes. if you were doing something in the other part of the house and you hear her do that, I I tell moms you drop everything and you get in there and you try to get oh, her yeah. to say oh, it yeah. ten times in a row, rather yeah. than just kind of letting it be a fleeting thing that kind of comes and goes. And so you're going to have to pick yeah. those times to really do a lot of purposeful teaching. And by that I mean you're helping her understand that that's that she's saying mama and that means you. Right. Yeah, I'm right. Say, oh, it's just tough with her with the imitation piece that's sort of missing when you try to repeat it over and over again and she won't do it again. 
So you have to build up to that, yeah. But the best time to get it, if you can, is, you know, when when she starts it on her own, when she's initiating Oh, yes. See, that's the kind of best time. Now, listen, with her, are you able to get any kind of, um, did you say she will do some motor imitation, so some imitation during play or some imitation of some body movements like um, clapping, holding her arm? A clapping, clapping, you know, it's funny. She knows how to do because she'll do it when she has a tantrum. So she'll clap yeah. or she doesn't want to do something, she'll clap. I'm like, oh, so you can do it. But when yeah. you ask her to imitate, she won't. Um, jumping, if I take her hand and say, let's jump, 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 she'll jump with me. So that she can do yeah. imitating-wise. But clapping right. and waving, can't get her to do it. Pointing, she can do, um, okay. but it's not consistent. Um, yeah. Do you yeah. happen when things are when when you've been singing a song at the end of it? Do you clap or when uh, just when something exciting has happened? Do you clap or you know like to congratulate her about something if she's done something? Do you clap and say yeah? I do, not as much as I should, but, yeah, I try to, but she still won't. Even hand over hand, she'll do it, but then she'll put her hands on my hands to make me clap. So she doesn't want to do it, yeah. Yeah, and that's really common for kids with autism, too, to kind of respond in that way. But just keep at it. Just keep at that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Will will she pat her legs? You know, if you're patting your legs, will she pat her legs? No. That's something but or she'll do it when she's mad. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> the only really action, like imitation she'll do is the jumping part or, um, you know, if we try to dance and we sort of lift our legs up and down, she'll sort of do that, but not really. Yeah. But the jumping is the really only one that she could do. Um, but, you know, if we do pretend play and, okay, you feed the doll, mommy feed the doll, you feed the doll, she'll do it and then she'll feed me. So okay. pretend play, taking turns, stuff like that she'll do. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Your girls are really, really interesting, Laura. You, you've, got, <laughs> you've got a really interesting <laughs> set of twins it's, on your yeah. hands with what they'll do. Oh, I tell you. Know. I'm so glad I wish that you was, have... I would just wish it was so, one set of strategies we can use for both because it will make my life easier, yeah. but it's not because they're, you know. One likes music and counting, one like action based, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it never gets dull and you always no. have to be on your toes. So look at oh, it yeah. that way. You're like to never ever yeah. ever be bored. And oh, you're no. gonna have lots of opportunities to keep your mind sharp with have to do yeah. this for this girl, for that girl and all of those things. Uh, but you you have just been such a delight. I'm so happy that I've gotten to meet you. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you for your time. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to keep me updated on what happens. I want you to email me, say, in a couple of months. Let's see, it's the end of June. By the end of the summer, the end of August, I want you to send me an email update. And let me know what's happened with your new speech pathologist and see kind of yes. what direction he's got you going in. And then by by that time, your OT, that'll you've just kind of started with her, too. So that'll really be up and going. So keep yes. us updated on how those girls are doing. I will. I will. Thank you so much. And I wanted to ask you quickly, what would be another product to move on from the uh, manual on your website, like the DVDs, or should we get something else? 
I know you have something for kids with apraxia and disorder, speech disorders. I, you have a lot of material, so I don't know what the next best thing would be. Well, uh, I, I well, think just stick with the manual for now. I think the manual is great, but if you want to get one of the DVDs, look at Teach Me to Talk with Apraxia. Um, because okay. that's going to really cover a lot of the basic kind of speech stuff. But listen, Laura, I don't want you to forget about working on their receptive language because you've got to help them understand oh, yes. and with words. That's huge. But the next one I would probably recommend is that apraxia DVD and see what mm-hmm. you can get going. But listen, your therapist that you're going to work with who's going to see you and them, I'm sure yeah. will have lots and lots of great ideas for you too. Yeah, perfect. Okay, thank you okay. so much, Laura. Oh, thank you, and happy birthday to those girls. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Are you Thanks, having a party? Uh, we may, uh, yes. Just a small family and friends. Okay. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.